Hello, and welcome to Tabs Not Spaces. It's Wednesday, September 16th, and this is what you need to know today. Even if you've not been paying much attention to the tech news over the last few days, you're likely to have heard that NVIDIA is acquiring ARM from Japanese holding company SoftBank for $40 billion. While acres of virtual ink have been spilled discussing the deal since it was formally announced on Sunday, at this stage we really know precious little about the likely long-term impact on the wider tech industry. For its part, NVIDIA is paying just slightly more for ARM and cash and stock than SoftBank did when it acquired the company back in 2016, but is also on the hook for a further $5 billion performance-related payout, and is ponying up a $1.5 billion sweetener to ARM employees. While the bulk of ARM is set to change hands, the company's IoT services group is not part of the deal, and will remain fully owned by SoftBank. Having recently jumped over the regulatory hurdles with its acquisition of Mellanox, NVIDIA seems confident that it will be able to safely negotiate them again, although this deal appears far more complex. It's also likely to see more broad-based pushback from interested parties, and this has already begun in the United Kingdom, after one of the co-founders of ARM sought public backing for his call for stringent safeguards before any deal could proceed. NVIDIA has attempted to allay fears over staffing, and has also stated that the company plans to continue registering ARM's intellectual property in the UK, which ought to keep it outside of the ongoing trade war between the US and China. It's expected that full regulatory approval for the deal will take 12 to 18 months, which should give the industry plenty of time to digest the news, and the rest of us a chance to get a clearer picture of how it will likely affect us in the future. As soon as NVIDIA's deal for ARM became public, Many commentators began speculating about whether the tie-in could provide a competitive boost for the RISC-V platform. So the latest announcement from Sci-5 couldn't have been timed better, as the company revealed that it will be unveiling new hardware at next month's Lindley Fall Processor Conference, including the first commercially available RISC-V-powered PC. The new PC will be aimed at the demanding developer marketplace, and feature Sci-5's upcoming Freedom U740 SoC, which will also debut at the event. To follow up on a story from the last show, Mark Shuttleworth has decided after some deliberation that the Ubuntu Community Council should be revived. A call for nominations has now been made, and Shuttleworth has committed to put forward his shortlist of applicants by the second week of October, with a view to having the body fully reconstituted next month. And as has historically been the case, only existing Ubuntu members will be eligible for consideration for the post shortly to be filled. An InfoSec research company is warning about an ongoing and sustained attack on Magento e-commerce sites that are running obsolete versions of the software. While Adobe has spent the last few years attempting to cajole Magento administrators to migrate to the second version of its shopping platform, many have still yet to make the move. And this isn't simply because of idleness on their part, but also because the original incarnation of the platform was highly functional and reasonably lightweight. With many viewing the completely re-architected second version of Magento as more trouble than it was worth, Around 110,000 sites were still running the earlier version when Adobe finally declared it end-of-life in June this year. As Magento tends to be used by medium and larger-sized online retailers, it's always been a prime target for card skimming attacks, and a whole class of malware has been designed to inject skimming code into vulnerable sites. And that's apparently what has been happening since the weekend, with approximately 2,000 sites already known to have been compromised. As well as flagging up that you might want to be a little more careful about where you shop online in the future, this story also provides a textbook example of the possible consequences when a development team breaks faith with its existing user base and decides to take its product in a new direction. Most of the time, this sort of change merely results in temporary annoyance, with the worst outcome likely being that users move to an alternate product.
But there can be instances like this example with more far-reaching real-world consequences, and I'd like to hope that other open-source projects might take the lesson on board. The EFF has announced the winners of its annual Pioneer Awards, ahead of a virtual presentation ceremony on October 15th. Having started life back in 1992, early awards largely went to technologists who had made contributions to privacy, or to the security of the wider internet. In recent years the prizes have become more overtly political, and this year is no exception. The three awards just announced are going to a team that worked on racial bias issues in artificial intelligence, the co-founder of a group focused on the safety of technology for sex workers, and the last to the Open Technology Fund, which has lately come under financial pressure from a Trump appointee at the U.S. Agency for Global Media. After more than nine years in development, version 1 of Emacs Prelude has finally been tagged. The Emacs distribution alters many default settings and bundles in additional packages, with the aim of making Emacs a simpler environment for novice users, while also becoming more productive for power users. And finally, Microsoft has submitted a suite of patches to the Linux kernel team that are designed to allow Linux to run at the bottom of a Hyper-V stack. The patches provide a minimal implementation of what Microsoft hopes to achieve, and have been posted as much as an RFC as an actual set of changes to be included in the kernel. Currently Hyper-V requires a Windows root partition, even if Linux child partitions are spun up alongside it. And it's this limitation that Microsoft is keen to get rid of, so that it can support a completely Linux-based stack on top of its lightweight hypervisor layer. And that wraps things up for now. There's more about today's stories in the show notes, and you can visit our website at tabsnotspaces.com to read a full transcript of the podcast, or to contact and support the show. We'll be back on Saturday.